Now, if you have your Bibles, take them, please, and turn. Turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, verse 1, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read about seven verses. John chapter 3, verse 1. All right, have you found your places? All right, join me in standing as we honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 3, verse 1, here's what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not. Don't be amazed that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you. Thank you for those souls that were saved this morning. Thank you, God, for the folks who faithfully come back tonight. I pray, God, speak to our hearts. Reveal true salvation. Motivate those who are saved to live all out for you Save those who really don't know you, God, but above all, you be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It is so good to talk about you must be born again. Now, have you guys ever heard of a great evangelist of years ago called D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was a famous, famous evangelist, and you may listen to Moody Radio sometime. There's the Moody College, but... He was a man that had like a fourth grade education, but he had the power of God. He could preach. And his number one message that he preached, he preached, you must be born again. He preached it hundreds, if not thousands of times. Every time he went somewhere, he preached that message, you must be born again. And somebody said, Mr. Moody, why is it that every time you preach, you talk about you must be born again? And Mr. Moody said, because you must be born again. Amen? And these verses I've just read to you, I introduce a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a very interesting man. He's a good man. He's a moral man. He's a decent man. He's a respected man. He is a Pharisee. Now, I know when you hear the word Pharisee, you always think negative. You think hypocrite, but that's true. Many of them were hypocrites, but most of them were very dedicated, serious men trying to serve God. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was not a typical Pharisee. He was what we would call a seminary professor or a a denominational leader. He was a big cog in the synagogue. This old boy was very, very religious. He had everything that the religious world says you need to have to be successful. Now, to be a Pharisee was not just an easy thing. To be a Pharisee, you had to memorize What you and I know is the first five books of the Old Testament. They had to memorize those first five books word for word. Now, most of us can't even pronounce all the words in the first five books of the Bible. But a Pharisee had to memorize the first five books of the Bible word for word. They also had to tithe. Now, you may say, well, William, what's so 
What's so big about that? We tithe here today in our church. Well, to be a Pharisee, you had to tithe 30% of everything you had. You want to go there? 30% of everything you had, you gave to the Lord as a Pharisee. They would fast two days out of every week. In fact, some of them were so strict about their fasting that they would not even swallow the spittle in their mouth lest they were breaking that fast. They were very, very fundamental. They were Bible-believing. We would call them conservative, fundamental believers. They believed the Word of God. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in all the things that you and I would believe in. They were fundamental, evangelistic, missionary-minded people. So these were serious, serious people about the things of God. And they were doing the best they knew how to worship God. Well, Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, he heard about Jesus. And something pricked his interest. So Nicodemus, under the cover of darkness, now we don't know why he went in under the cover of darkness. Perhaps he was worried about what everybody would say. But he went to Jesus and he said, good master, we know that you're a prophet sent from God. We know that because nobody could be doing the miracles you're doing unless God was with him. And that's a pretty big compliment coming from a Pharisee. We know you're a prophet sent from God. We know you're from God because nobody could do what you're doing except God was with them. And Jesus just kind of pushed that compliment aside and said, Nicodemus, you may be a good man, a moral man, a decent man. You may be a man who's memorized the first five books of the Bible. You may be a man who who fasts two days out of every week, but you're not going to heaven unless you're born again. Now, what happened then? Well, Nicodemus got confused. Now, we say many times uh, when preaching confuses people, we think, well, that's got to be wrong, but that's not necessarily true. If you have believed a lie and somebody preaches the truth to you, there's going to be a temporary confusion when what's being preached goes against what you've believed. Well, Nicodemus was confused. He said, well, how can that be? How can a man be born again when he's old? And Jesus Christ must have said, Nick, son, you're missing the point. What is flesh is flesh. What is spirit is spirit. He said, marvel not. Don't be amazed. Unless a man is born again, he'll never go to heaven. Now, my friends, has the Bible changed? It has not changed. And Jesus would say the same thing to you tonight. He would say, you may have a lot of good works. You may be a good moral person. You may have read your Bible from cover to cover. You may have memorized hundreds of scriptures. You may be a tither, a prayer warrior. You may be a Sunday school teacher or a deacon. But you're not going to heaven unless you're born Again, nobody but nobody but nobody goes to heaven unless they are born of the Spirit of God. What is flesh is flesh. What is spirit is spirit. You've got to be born from above. Now, why is that? Why does God demand that we be born again? Well, friend, it is because of the difference between you and me and God. See, the Bible teaches that God is altogether holy. He is perfect in every way. He is righteous. He is without sin or flaw or blemish. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But the Bible says that you and I are just the opposite of God. We are sinners. We have broken God's law. We have broken God's heart. We've shaken our fist in God's face. We have rebelled against God. We've lived selfish and self-centered lives. We are sinners against the king of the universe. And before sinners, such as you and I, can go to a perfect place called heaven 
and stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God, a change has got to take place in our life. And that change is called being born again. And it doesn't matter, friend, it, it, whether you've been baptized or whether you are a church member or whether you're, you're in, involved in the ministry in some way. Nobody but nobody but nobody goes to heaven unless they've been born again by the Spirit of the living God. So we need to know exactly what it is and how to get it. What is this new birth? How do you get this change that God demands that you must have? Well, first of all, the new birth is not reformation. Now, you know what reformation is, don't you? That's where you come to a point in your life where you know that you've got to make some changes. You've got to reform your life. You've got to stop doing this bad thing, and you've got to start doing these good things. You know it's got to, you've got to straighten up and live right. It's like many times young couples get married. They drink, they party, they do a lot of things. They, they grow up, though, and have children. They say, you know, we can't continue to live like this. We've got to clean our act up. We've got to stop smoking and drinking. We've got to start going to church and living better. Well, dear friends, that's just you cleaning up the outside. That's not God doing that miracle work on the inside. Reformation, changing your bad habits into good habits is not the new birth. It's like this. If you have a credit card or two, and if you're like most people, you have probably 12 of them. But let's say you have a credit card and you owe money on that credit card. But you decide one day, this is not getting anywhere. I don't want to have all this credit card debt. So what I'm going to do from this moment on, I'm not going to use this credit card at all. I'm going to pay cash for everything I buy. Well, that'd be great. But you still owe the credit card charges from the past. The same thing is true about your own life. If you could come down this aisle and kneel at this altar and you could pray to God, say, oh God, from this moment on, I'm not going to commit another sin. If you could do that, which, by the way, you can't, but if you could say, God, I'm never going to sin past this point ever again, you would still owe the penalty for all the sin in the past. Cleaning up your life, reforming your life, that is not the new birth. It goes much, much deeper than that. The new birth is also not a profession of religion. Now, you know what profession of religion is, don't you? That's where... You walk down an aisle, and you make a profession of faith. You walk down here, and you pray a little prayer. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe he was buried in the tomb. I profess to believe those things. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, there are many people who profess me with their mouth, but with their heart and their life, they deny me. They're a long way from me. When I talk to people today, many people who are not living for God, think they're okay with God because when they were young, they prayed that sinner's prayer, made that profession of religion. I remember my pastor one time talking about a man who lived out in the far west. He was in the logging industry. He, he, was, he died, cancer or something like that. They brought him back home, and they wanted the pastor to preach this old boy into heaven. Now, he was no boy. He didn't live for God. He didn't serve God. He didn't obey God. He didn't tell men about God. But they said, you know, he made a profession of faith when he was 9 or 10 years old. Surely he's in heaven. And that's what we have right now. We have people who think because they've made a profession of faith that no matter how they live their life, they're still going to heaven. But Jesus said, no, you've got to be born again. Something supernatural has got to take place in your life. So the new birth is not reforming your life. It's not a profession of faith or religion. 
It's not spiritual culture. Now, you know what spiritual culture is, don't you? That's when you were raised up in church and you know how to do all the church stuff. You know how to find verses in the Bible. You know how to look the songs up in the hymnal. If you look, nobody uses hymnals anymore, but the fact is, you come to church and you know how everything operates. You have this culture of being raised in church. But friend, I'm here to tell you, culture on the outside does not change character on the inside. It's kind of like the man who led me to the Lord, Dr. Neil Prock, when he was a young man, Before he had children, him and his wife, Nita, had a little small dog. And you know how people are just nuts about their dogs. Had this little small white poodle dog. And they loved it, treated it like it was a little person, you know. One day they took this dog to the vet. And they were going to give her her shots and clean her up and take care of her and do all that kind of stuff. So they left her for a day or two. They came back. And when they brought the dog out, Brother Neil said, I was amazed. I was surprised. I didn't even know what to expect because here's this little dog. They had washed her hair and blown it dry with a hair dryer. It was all puffed up like a little cotton ball. They had painted her little toenails red. They put a little red bow around her neck. They sprayed her uh, with perfume. And this little dog just kind of pranced around, and she was something. I'm here to tell you, she was amazing. I mean, they looked around, and she didn't act like a dog. She didn't smell like a dog. I mean, she didn't even look like a dog. I mean, they, Brother Neil said, I wonder if she's still a dog. They put her in the car, and she got up in the front seat and just kind of sat there like a little person. They got home and put her in the backyard, and she was in the backyard in a little fence, and a, uh, an old hound dog came by. Well, she just climbed on that fence with that old hound dog. A couple of hours later, she came back, and she was a mess. I mean, that old hair was matted down with mud and dirty, and that, that uh, bow, the bow around her neck had been ripped off. Her little toenails had been scratched clean. She stank to high heaven. And Brother Neil said, man, she... She looks like a dog. She acts like a dog. She smells like a dog. I guess she's still a dog. Well, sure, she's still a dog because she hadn't had that nature of dog change. That's the same way in church. You can take an old boy at First Baptist Church. You take him down to J.C. Penney, put a brand new suit on him, go buy him a Schofield Bible, teach him how to act in church, teach him how to take the offering, teach him how to pray a little rote prayer. But, dear friends, he's the same dirty, rotten sinner on the inside because a new birth is more than just spiritual culture on the outside. It's a supernatural change on the inside by God. Amen? The new birth is not morality. Now, I believe in morality. We need more of it. But living a good moral life is not the new birth. Morality is good as far as it goes. It just doesn't go far enough. Now, if I could take you guys with me over there, down there in in Florida, down there on the uh, East Coast, we could go to Panama, we could go over there, not to Panama City, but there on the other side, what's that town, Daytona Beach. There's a pier out there that goes out into the ocean 1,200 feet. Suppose I had you guys with me. I set you down on the beach. I get out on that pier and I say, folks, great news. I've decided I'm going to walk to Europe. You'd say, William, that's pretty impressive. We've never seen anybody do that. We'd like to see that. Go for it, son. So I walk out on that pier. I go 400 feet. I turn back and I wave at you. God bless you, William. You're doing good. I go out to 800 feet. Man, you're thinking, you're pretty impressed now. This boy's walking to Europe. I go out to 1,200 feet. I turn around and say, man, so far, so good. But if I take one more step, my trip to Europe's over with. You see, that pier is good as far as it goes. It just doesn't go far enough. The same thing is about morality. 
It's good to be moral, to live a good, decent, moral life, but it will not get you through the gates of glory. Amen? You've got to have the new birth. What's the new birth? The new birth is a change in your heart that only God can make. You can't make this change. You can walk an aisle. You can pray a prayer. You can read the Bible. You can memorize scripture. You can sing in the choir. You can give your money to the poor and help the needy. But only God can make that change in your heart. Only God can supernaturally invade your life. What happens in the new birth is God reaches down from heaven and supernaturally just comes inside you and His Spirit begins to live in you. It is a supernatural change that only the King of kings and the Lord of lords can make in your life. And it's a mysterious change. The Bible says the wind blows and you don't even know where it's coming from. That's the way it is with the Holy Spirit of God. It is a supernatural, unexplainable mystery how God can take an old, dirty, rotten sinner and change him from the inside out. I don't, explain, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But you know what I can explain to you? I can explain that Thursday night, October 24th, 1983, when I got on my face before God and I cried out to God, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Everything I have, I give to you. When I got up off, that, off my knees, something supernatural had happened to me. Something had changed in me. I hadn't changed myself. God had changed me from the inside out. I can't explain it, friend, but I was there when it happened. And I've never been the same since. So the new birth is a God thing. It's a mysterious thing. And it is a total change. God does not change a man piecemeal. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are done away with. Behold, all things become new. My friend, I can't tell you the thousands and thousands of examples of men I've seen radically and totally changed by the power of the living God. I was at Pensacola, Florida. It was like Wednesday night or something like that. And I was on the platform after the service was over. A young man came up to talk to me. He was about six foot five, about 240 pounds, about 27, 28 years old. And he said, William, he said, when I heard you Sunday morning, he said, your preaching made me so mad. I got so angry at you the way you were pointing your finger and shouting and stomping and talking about sin and repentance. He said, I'll tell you what, I got so angry, I thought to myself, I'm going to go down there and snatch him off that platform and whip him right here. But he said, William, last night, I got saved. And now I see clearly about the things of God. I can't, I can't begin to tell you, friends, when men get saved, you don't have to send a committee to find them. When a man gets born again, you don't have to put him on a guilt trip to read his Bible. When a man gets born again, what you have to do is to hold him back. See, I believe in discipleship. But see, when you have really saved people, it's easy to disciple saved people. See, saved people will run all over you. When a man gets born again, he'll aggravate you and worry you to death. When a man gets saved, he'll be knocking on your door wanting to talk about Jesus. He'll want to borrow all the books you have. He'll want to listen to all the sermons you got recorded. He'll aggravate you and take your time up because he has this hunger to learn more about God. And friend, the reason it's so hard to disciple people is we're trying to disciple lost people. Save men. Hunger for the things of God. So the new birth is a change that only God can make.
It's a mysterious change, a supernatural change. And, fellows, it is a total change. Old things are done away. Behold, all things, A-L-L, all things become new. How do you get this new birth? Well, my friends, the first thing, the brother, man that led me to the Lord gave me some great advice. He said, William, before a man can get saved, he's got to get lost. You see, the, good, the gospel is the good news. And many times we start out talking to people about the gospel, the good news. That's a mistake. You see, before you can talk about the good news, you've got to put it in context. Why is it so good? It's good because of the bad news over here. You start with the bad news. What is the bad news? One day God's going to judge the world and you're not ready. What's the message of the Bible? It's not God loves you and has a plan for your life. That's not the message of salvation. The message of salvation is what Paul talked to the Athenians. He says, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man he has ordained in that he's given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. The message of the Bible is God created you. He owns you. One day he's going to judge the world and you are not ready because you have sinned against God. You stand condemned, doomed, without hope. You are lost from God. See, before a man will go to the good news, he's got to understand and comprehend the bad news, right? It's kind of like, suppose you were in a swimming pool of waist-deep water. And all of a sudden, I dive off the bank and jump on your back. You say, William, what in the world are you doing? I say, I'm trying to save you from drowning. You say, man, I'm not drowning. Because it's all foolishness, see? You don't think you're drowning. You don't understand you're in trouble. But if you were out there in the ocean in about 100 foot of water going down for the third time, when I come by in my boat and reach out my hand to rescue you, you understand and appreciate what I'm doing. See, the problem is we're trying to get people saved who don't see the danger they're in. So step one in being born again is a man's got to see himself the way God sees him, as a sinner, a rebel, lost, doomed, damned, without hope. He can't do anything to save himself. He's got to become desperately lost first, hopeless and helpless. He's got to cry out, what must I do to be saved? Remember Pentecost? Paul, uh, Peter said, you have killed the Son of God. And they were pricked in their heart and said, what must we do to be saved? Once, what we're trying to do now is we're giving people the gospel before they cry out, what must I do to be saved? That's why, friend, that some of our greatest revivals have lasted 10 weeks or 2 months. Because it takes a while for that to sink into people. That lost condition. So the first thing is people have got to understand the bad news. That they, there's going to be a great judgment day. They're going to have to stand before God and give an account. And they're in trouble because they've sinned against God. And when they become convicted of that... Then you give them the gospel. The gospel is that, yes, you're a sinner. You deserve hell. You're lost without hope. But God, in his love, has sent his son to save you. His son has come and taken your sins. He's gone to a cross. He's taken your place. He has died paying for your sins. He was buried in a tomb. And after three days, God raised him from the dead. Now, friends, that's good news. When you understand the trouble you're in with God, then the good news really becomes good. Amen. The reason people don't appreciate the gospel 
they don't appreciate the good news is because they really don't understand the bad news, how much trouble they're in with God. But once you've heard the bad news, once you've heard the good news of the gospel, you've got to respond correctly. How do you respond correctly? Well, number one, you've got to repent. See, a sinner is a rebel against God. A sinner is going his own way, living his own life. And before you can come to God and get saved, you've got to do an about face. You've got to turn away from the direction you're going and go in a different direction. You've got to stop loving these things and turn and love God. You must repent. Except you repent, you'll perish, the Bible says. You must turn away from yourself and your sin. And then you must believe. And that word believe, the Greek word pistuo, What you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I believe that you are my only hope and therefore I receive you as my God, my Lord, my master. I give up the rights to myself. I serve you and honor you and love you and obey you because you are God. And when a man will do that, holding nothing back, God will save his soul. Amen. The sad fact is, That in America, we have substituted a form of religion for the true power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, really, friends, wouldn't you like to have the power of God in your life to answer prayers, to heal the sick, to win your lost loved ones to Christ? See, salvation is a big deal. Salvation is a radical deal. You see, we have this idea that There's these saved people, big group of saved people. There's a little group of lost people. And then there's this little group of fanatics over here. They want to talk about God all the time. They want to stand on the street corner and hold a sign about repent or perish. They want to talk about God all the time, man. They're just nuts about this Jesus stuff. But this big group right here, they're just kind of average and go along, get along. They, They love the things of the world. They're saved, but they're not crazy like those fanatics over here. Well, the fact is, friends, this little group of fanatics is the only saved bunch there is. Think about your Bible. Think about the disciples. When they came to Christ, they left everything. They left their family. They left their homes. They left their business. They took up their cross. They followed Jesus unto death, the Bible says. And we're selling salvation very short, friends. We're selling salvation as nothing more than a lucky charm to get you into heaven. When it is really giving your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to love Him and serve Him because it is true, friend. One day, God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man He has ordained in that He's given assurance unto all men in that He has raised Him from the dead. I've never understood why lost people come to church on Easter Sunday. I've never understood that. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning is God's stamp of proof that one day he's going to judge the world. It seems to me if a lost person understood that, they'd want to come to church any day but on Easter, friend. Because on Easter you're saying, I understand the resurrection is proof positive that God is going to hold me accountable for my life. And I'm not ready. I'm not prepared except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God let's bow our heads dear heavenly father I praise you and I thank you 
I pray, God, that you will speak to our hearts tonight in a supernatural way. Reveal true salvation. Reveal the new birth. Save souls and change lives for your glory. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. I wonder how many of you could say, William, I know without a doubt that I've been born again. I can go back to that moment. I saw myself as a lost, hell-bound sinner. I knew there was nothing good in me, and William, I repented. I trusted Christ. I was radically transformed by the Spirit of God. I've really been born again, and I know for sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven, no doubt about it, because the Spirit of God lives in me and manifests himself in me on a daily basis. If you can give that testimony that you've really been born of the Spirit of God, would you simply show me by lifting your hand up and taking it down? William, I know I've been born again. God bless you. You may put your hands down. Thank you. No real Christian ever minds giving that testimony. Many hands were lifted, but many hands were not lifted. And I want to thank you for being honest. I want to pray for you. We'll be leaving town tomorrow. This may be the last chance I ever get to pray for you or to speak with you. So I want to pray for you. You say, William, I couldn't lift my hand because I don't know for sure that I've had that born-again experience. But William, I don't want to miss God. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to have this new birth. But I don't, I don't know where I stand with God. William, will you pray for me that God will reveal the truth to me that I can know whether I'm really saved or I'm lost so that I can respond correctly? William, I just don't know where I stand with God. Will you pray for me tonight that I'll know the truth before it's too late? If you'd like for me to pray for you about your salvation, just lift your hand up right now and I'll pray for you where you are. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? Just lift your hand up. Thank you. Back in the back. I see those hands. Anybody in the balcony? Just William, pray for me. Thank you. Anybody else? You may put them down. Anybody else? Anybody else? I just don't know where I stand with God, but I want to know the truth. Last time I'll ask, lift your hand up and I'll pray for you. I wonder how many here tonight would say, William, I know somebody who's near and dear to me. And William, they're lost without God. They've never been born again. And I'm burdened for their soul, William. I'm burdened that if they die, they'll die lost and go to hell. And I don't want them to go to hell, William. I want them to be saved. But William, I know somebody that's near and dear to me. They're not saved. And I'm truly burdened for their soul. Would you pray for them tonight that they might be saved before it's too late? If you'd like for me to pray for those folks, just lift your hand up right now and we'll pray for them. Amen. God bless you. You may put them down. Dear Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands and you know our hearts. God, there are people here tonight that, Lord, they don't know where they stand with you. I pray, God, right now you'd speak to them, convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. I pray, God, you would reveal true salvation, help them to know the truth, God. And if they're lost, I pray, God, you'll give them the, the clear picture of what they need to do to be saved. I pray, God, for those that have lost loved ones right here, God, that, that, Lord, wherever that lost loved one is, that, God, your spirit will go to them right now, even as I speak, and convict them of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. God, reveal salvation to them and save them before it's too late. And, God, for those who are here tonight who are saved, but, God, they're a long way from where they ought to be with you. Too many places to go, too many things to do. I pray, God, you'll convict them of that sin and draw them back to you 
to live for you with all their heart. God, I give you this service, and I ask you to glorify yourself in Jesus' holy and precious name. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, musicians, position yourself. I want to give an invitation tonight, and this is my invitation. I'll have my men stand at the aisle right here at each aisle. When we stand, the invitation is this. If you're here tonight and you've never truly been born of the Spirit of God and you'd like to be truly saved tonight, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come forward. Come to one of these men down to the end of this aisle and just say, I want to be born again. We'll have somebody pray with you. You can be born again before you leave this place. Maybe you're a Christian here. Maybe God's spoken to you about something in your life, some sin in your life that's, that's keeping you from being what God wants you to be. What I'm going to invite you to do, Christian friend, is just come and make an altar out of this front area and do business with God. And when you're through praying, you return to your seat. I'm also going to invite you, if you have lost loved ones and you're really burdened about their soul, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar down here and just cry their name out to God that God would save their soul before it's too late. So the invitation is for those that I've just described. If you're here and you want to be born again, you come to someone here at the end of the aisle. If you're a Christian who wants to come and, get, and recommit your life to Christ, you come. If you have a lost loved one and you want to cry out their name to God, you come. The altar's open, and when you're through praying, you may return. But whatever God has spoken in your heart about, I ask you to have an obedient spirit and respond before it's too late. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. Let's sing. And if you need to come, you come right now.